0: Yo, 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 welcome to Paul's to the Wall. Tonight we are joined by Andrew from Popular Liberty and Tyler and soon Mike after, you know, he wrestles his kids to bed. So Andrew, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good, guys. How are you guys? How are, you, how are the Pauls doing?
0: They're solid. Tyler isn't, he's he's a Paul in spirit, by the way. But oh, okay. We'll so count him one. He's an honorary Paul. Paul. Yeah. yeah. Oops.
2: But I'm doing well. Doing well.
0: Yeah, right. so... um. So Andrew, a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with you. Um, you know, we're very much in the same circles. So, for the listeners that are not, can you explain kind of what your background is and how you've kind of risen as a, a YouTuber slash, you know, libertarian thinker? Well, my background is uh,
1: basically I'm the inventor of the archotropism framework. That's the what I consider to be the missing the, the missing piece to libertarianism and. It deals with basically the economics and the movements of the value of power how how power behaves it's all the incentive systems of you know how a political power how coercive power you know behaves itself, and you know for fifty years, libertarians have you know done everything they can not to have this conversation with themselves and you know and now i'm it's kind of gotten to a head where you know most of us got uh put on house arrest for yeah, you know, most of last year. So it's like, all right, time to have the conversation now. We need to talk about power and why it exists.
0: Yeah. So if anybody hasn't heard your work on archotropism, tonight we're gonna to do something a little bit different. Um, you you talked about it on Lines of Liberty on P. Canonas' podcast. I know a couple others. Um, I know you talked about it with um with Adam Patrick on Run Your or Not Run Your Mouth. That's Robbie Bernstein. You're
1: talking over, talking me. over me. Yeah, you're right. talking over me.
0: Kind of similar. Um, but yeah, so, so if anybody wants to hear the sort of like philosophy broken down, um, check out all of those shows and, and, you know, the popular Liberty episodes they did. Mm -hmm. So tonight we're going to talk about how those ideas translate into the real world, like the praxis of archotropism and what we've seen really the last year and a half with like the sort of acceleration of government power and, uh, and force. So, the one idea that really stuck out to me that was like a light bulb when I heard it was when you talked about this kind of Misesian idea of time preference and how something like the Constitution is like a low time preference for power framework. And it clicked with me immediately because I've heard that idea talked about sort of tangentially. I know like Murray Rothbard talked about Uh, you know, how the smallest government would create the most powerful economy. And then once there's a powerful economy, the state parasitically drafts off of that and becomes powerful. So Mm -hmm. this kind of runs very parallel to that idea. Now, what would you say differentiates it from that sort of idea? Like, you know, when it comes to the Constitution, uh, creating this eventual power cell, uh, how would you differentiate that from something like you know, I, don't, I think it was Rothbard that uh, originally came up with that. But what is
1: like the the ingredient there that you think was missing? Uh, the ingredient there, I think, that is missing is something that uh, libertarians have said for a while because they've had this. Uh, they never quite connected what he said right there with what Spooner had said about, OK, either the Constitution failed to stop this or it uh, or, you know, or it was you know responsible for causing it. And uh, actually, he had those in reverse order, but it was the, it, you know, it, they never made that connection there that, yes, it is the Constitution that, you know, artificially lowered the, uh, you know, the state's time preference for power. And you see this throughout the uh, the 19th century where, you know, the, the total taxes, so if you add up local, state, federal, and beyond, it never really got above 10 percent. And... Today it's like closer to forty-five. Yeah. Know, so, and that's uh, a percent of the whole economy. And so the uh, basically, you know, what it, it just artificially lowered it to where they were just taking less and less and less, and leaving more for the rest of us, which created this incredibly powerful economy that uh, you know gave us the monstrosity we have today. So, right. It, so- it forced under consumption.
0: Right, right. So if I think of like the logical extremes of this, um, you know, it it brings me back to uh, did you ever read uh, Peter Schiff's How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes?
1: Uh, No, I did not. But I do like Peter Schiff and I've listened to him for for a long time.
0: He it was very much his sort of like uh, like teenagers could read it like he uses the example of people living on an island. And it's like, you know, every day to sustain themselves, they can catch one fish with their bare hands and that's their subsistence living. But as soon Mm -hmm. as they invent nets, then they have time to build shelter and fire and everything. And to me, it's like when you're talking about this idea, it's like, okay, what's the logical extreme of very high time preference behavior? It's like, okay, if there's a a downed plane on an island and there's one guy that's going to declare himself the dictator over the people on this island, it's like, how powerful is he really going to get when it's just a bunch of people living in abject yeah. poverty? He's going to be a joke. You know, you can't have that much power. Uh, yeah, a man end, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like on the on the other end of that spectrum, we have something like the like early America, our first two centuries, where we had this very free market economy relatively. And we had all of this wealth creation, especially in the, uh, you know, 19th century And then slowly but surely, like the world wars come along and the power starts to grow and grow and grow with this newfound wealth. So like when you when you brought that idea up, it like immediately started connecting all these dots in my mind. And I think this is like truly an original
1: contribution. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, this is something the uh, the time preference itself that is something that People have t- had, uh, you know, Misesians had talked about for a very long time, but you know, uh, connecting it to power, I think that's something that hasn't hadn't quite been done yet. And they they'd, they'd seen the results of it, but they never quite described it that way. You know, Hans Hoppe was the first uh, uh, to, to really do that with his democracy, the God that failed, and he connected, uh, you know, time preference for power to monarchy and to democracy, and showing that. You know, monarchy is a much lower time preference form of government because you have, you know, you're the guy in charge. No one can take that from you, and you know, you want to hand that, you know, the kingdom down like it's a family business to right. your kid. And so you have an incentive not to like screw the pooch. You know, don't ki- don't sli- don't take the goose that laid the golden egg and slit a throat. And whereas if you're in democracy. You know you have you know the the you get rewarded by deliberately dividing people and pitting them against each other. So you, I mean it takes fifty percent plus one to gain power and be able to deal out all the favors to all your political cronies, and so you know you, you immediately get the majority against the minority, and you know, and you can do that by you know making false promises by promising to rob the minority in favor of, of the majority, and so you end up squandering, you know, because of that you end up squandering the uh, you know the wealth of society pretty quickly. And you're just incentivized to do it. And I don't know how much we, could, we should really blame our politicians for doing what they're incentivized to do. I mean, we were literally willing to pay them to divide us and rob us. That's democracy.
2: And Yeah. I, I think that there's... I mean, at the end of the day, they're humans like the rest of us. And yeah. it's, it's very easy for a lot of people on the outside looking in. And I'm not defending them, but... You know, you put any one of us, you know, hardcore libertarians, ANCAPs, whatever you want to call, you know, in that same situation and tell me that once those dollars start flowing, you're not going to be like, you know, maybe we should add some pork to this bill. Let's add yeah, some. Yeah, I mean,
1: maybe you find, maybe you find a, a way for it. You know, maybe at, at first mm-hmm. you think, oh, you know, maybe I could use this for some good things. You know, maybe f- help fund the Mises Institute a little more uh, and you know, reward my allies in the Mises Caucus who helped get me elected. I'm sure that uh, most of them are entrepreneurs with their own businesses. That you know, if their their businesses succeed a little more, maybe they would donate a little more, and that helps the whole cause. And you can just rationalize it to yourself that way, and and it goes right along. And it's just the way you know humans. You know, we're, we're not like moral creatures. We're still animals, and we respond <laughs> to incentives as animals. I mean, we're just a bunch of bald primates. That's that's mm-hmm. what this is, and. You know, if, if uh, you create a system to reward people for doing bad things, you know, don't be surprised when they do it. And if you want unity, you're in the wrong government. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, they hate politics because of the, the division of it. And it was like, well, I mean, this is democracy. That, that's what that is. It's, de, you know, divide yeah. and conquer. By, this is the definition of the win conditions.
2: <laughs> you need an enemy at all times. Mhm. I mean, look, at they turned a virus into an enemy much they literally turned a a virus divide us
1: and conquer us and rape us for 10 trillion dollars last year
2: so
0: yeah so this is kind of like a bigger picture question that i thought would be fun to get into like this process that we're talking about of you have a, a constitutional republic that eventually ends in tyranny and sort of consolidation of power uh how much of this is just an unpreventable like Natural ending to
1: things, like it's kind of our our destiny. It's like the fourth turning idea. Um, yeah, all of it. That the problem with yeah, the I mean the central problem is like that first law that I talk about is that you know, but the kind of the implication of that that the first law is is that the uh, one sec, let me get the ex- exact definition right here. The value of power is relative, not absolute. Therefore, the value of power can neither be created nor destroyed. It may be trans only transferred. From one wielder to another, or transform from one form into another, the sum total value of power is always conserved. Because of that, you know, basically implied right there is that power, coercive power, has value. And when you understand, like the uh, you know r- what Rothbard wrote about in uh, man, you know uh, uh, Man Economy and State, I believe uh, you know I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that was where it was. Man Economy and State. He said, you know, he talked about the law of returns. So is that you know, human? You know, humans are economizers. We want to have the most bang for our buck, basically. You know, we want to get the most out, uh, the most ends out of the least amount of means. And so, when you
3: have some, Howdy, Mike. Hey, how you doing, Andrew?
1: Good. Nice to finally meet you.
3: You too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I gotta I had to wrestle the kids to bed. This is becoming kind of regular now for me at this time. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, onward." Mm-hmm.
1: We were just discussing uh what you know why you know states are in, uh, effectively inevitable, mm-hmm. and so if, it, if you understand that you know coercive power has value and that humans are economizers and we're going to try to get the maximum value out of something, I mean the first thing we're going to do is create hi- create hierarchy to you know naturally extract more of that ba- uh, value and try to uh, make it that process more efficient. This is what we do with all corporations and all kinds of businesses. And, you know, it's the, this uh, hierarchy, uh, you know, behavior that humans ha- have is, uh, you know, allows us to collectivize and gather our talents together and and uh, coordinate with each other effectively, you know, with, you know, one person, with the decision-making effectively out- outsourced to uh, one person or another. And this is what makes, you know, economic processes more efficient. So, you know, if we're, if we're trying to maximize and get the most bang for our buck, we're going to this you know this a uh, coercive aggression thing is valuable and we want to maximize value well you know then we're going to create a hierarchy for extracting a aggr- value from aggression that's a state and you know you have two things hierarchy and uh you know and aggression which are both inevitable because they both have value and so when you have this overturning of uh you know democracy into monarchy and then back again and uh well i mean this is just uh, the consolidation of power, uh, you know, that is incentivized and there's not, you know, this is a, a major, you know, major hurdle for anarchy is what do you do about the value of power? There's not a good solution to it.
0: So what, what do you think, like, again, going to this kind of natural process and revolution, what do you think the next step is from here? Like, what should the movement of the, let's say the Liberty movement, what should the goal be right now in 2021, looking at this like full steam ahead towards the iceberg that we're facing right now. And what happens if we are successful in whatever this goal is and what happens if we are not?
1: Oh, well, okay. you know, there isn't much you can do about the overturning of history because you know the, what what always happens is okay. So when you have oligarchy, the reason you know that you should think of that as unconsolidated power. That's chaos, and so you have this archotropism framework that kind of tells you that right off the bat that order is preferable to chaos. And if you have uh, people by nature, they don't like chaos and they demand order. And so, and they place an extra value on whoever gives that order. And if you, and you you can say, okay, well, we'd like a defensive order first. And, well, okay, the best defense is a good offense. So, you, so in a roundabout way, you wind up with an aggressive order, is what people demand because it's the most effective. And the uh, so, and this uh, state is here to provide an aggressive order. And when it and when you have divided power like the, like what we have now in oligarchy you get just a shit show it's all chaos and this is something I was talking about last night on my on my sh- my show you know with uh, reading the uh, the art of war by Sun Tzu as he goes into uh, uh he went in on uh, chapter 10 and 11 talked about uh you know hey if the general uh you know can't consolidate power if he's you know chaotic if his orders are unclear um, and defeat is inevitable, and people don't like that. You know, it's 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 disorder to them. So, you know, naturally, uh, power will you know tr- try to converge itself into you know a cent- a centralized authority because that's what's most efficient. And it always a- and uh, so what and but eventually, you know, that if you try to hand that power down to someone who's weak and can't hold on to the power, he's not strong enough to maintain it. You you break back apart into oligarchy, and the cycle repeats. So right now we're at the end stage of oligarchy and we're we're headed towards basically dictatorship. This is why all republics end in <coughs> dictatorship.
2: Every single I, I was going to, I was going to agree with you there. Um, I've been telling anyone that'll listen to me. I said, you keep the way that the things keep pushing along. And I always mm-hmm. use the progressive movement as an example mm-hmm. of this. I said, they're going to push so far left that the right is going to give a reactionary movement and it's going to be exactly what you just described the strong man delivering order values you know we're going to bring everything back and they're Mm -hmm. going to get a dictator and they're gonna it's going to make you know supposedly people called trump a fascist this the next person in line will make trump look like a, a screaming child on a playground
0: yeah i think trump was sort of like the trial run of that it's like hey here's this idea but I mean, really, he we know sure. that he bent the knee to the yeah. establishment. He didn't really do anything of substance.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was the spitting image of what they were supposed to fear, of what they knew was supposed to be coming, given you know the way history's always played out. I mean, when it was Rome's turn, you know, they had Julius Caesar come along and he was a populist, he was a right winger who you know, he uh, you know came from the outside. You know, he was a he was a general, not a senator. And, you know, he had his own wealth, basically the army, and it was, ba- it was basically the billionaire of the day. He, he came from a rich family and, you know, he was a real, a real, you know, right, you know, right winger who, you know, what, when he, came, when he first came in, he first was like, oh, we're all going to be working together and uh, getting along. And the Senate is like, no, he's a dictator and he's going to come after us and we need to go to war with him. And. You know, then they, you know, so Pompey and the uh, rest of the Senate, you know, fled Rome, gathered an army to come after Julius Caesar. He ends up beating them, even though he was outnumbered, like, you know, four to one or something like that. And, you know, in a shock upset, then he gets back. And he's like, he pardons everyone. He's like, okay, no worries. You know, he didn't go out. And then they end up, you know, betraying him and killing him. And, you know, he got betrayed and killed by his own party and all of his friends. And. You know, it's, it's like same thing happened with trump he was basically the american julius caesar you know right wing populist again julius caesar he was in the party populares for populist <laughs> and oh, wow. he was opposed to the uh, the optimates party for you know basically the, the elites and the progressives you know uh, you know the modern equivalent is history is all playing itself out over over and over yeah. again and if you look at you know who ended up, be- ended up beating him. Granted, this was slightly different in Rome sto- story where you know he ended up fucking Cleopatra and that's how she got into it, the halls so, of power. You have Kamala Harris here who fucked her way into the halls of, <laughs> of power.
2: Well, I, I was going to ask if Melania Trump was the equivalent of Cleopatra in this instance.
1: No, but, uh, you know, well, I guess but, so, yeah,
2: the other progressives didn't, didn't try to murder their kid. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, yeah, basically, I, I mean, you, you got the whole story playing itself out again and, you know, they knew they, they, they were that they had gone really far left and there's going to be a demand for a right winger from the right. And then here's Trump. He looks, he, he fits the bill. <laughs> and so they start freaking the fuck out and he, he's not the guy. And unfortunately, he's the Julius Caesar that's going to give us the guy, you know, who now knows that he's, he's going to basically the next guy now has a ready made excuse to, you know, campaign against the bureaucracy. And say that look at what they did to you know our guy Trump, you know, and we need some vengeance. And I'm gonna and if you my mandate is to go to war with this bureaucracy and to and to get you know pay them back for what they did, and we're gonna get rid of this system that caused so much hardship to all of us. My mandate is to burn the system to the ground, and if you elect me, this is what I'm here to do. And then they just gave, and basically, they just gave whoever this next guy Augustus is, whoever the American Augustus is, they just handed him the excuse that he needed to do all of that. So then it's like your own fear did them in. You know, basically, they did it to themselves. It's like, you remember this idea that you know, you create the thing you fear. They just did that to themselves. That's archotropism. You know, they they have this chaos. It demands an order to consolidate it. It's their chaos and their disorder that now is demanding this right-wing demagogue to come back and take everything from them. And they did it to themselves.
0: You know what this is making me think of? I'm going to hit you guys with some bro science here, but you know how they say that Basically, a lot of natural fears that people have are like genetic memories. Like there's a good reason that Mm -hmm. people are like instinctively afraid of snakes or the dark because that's where the monsters are. That's how you get hurt. Mm -hmm. And like I like how you use this kind of long view of history, especially because 21st century Americans have goldfish memories. They don't even remember what the CDC said three months ago. Does the the CDC remember? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, you can go back two thousand years and look at the Roman Empire and you can learn a lot from uh, you know, things that happened long, long, long ago. Because like you said, these patterns do repeat themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think like when you're talking about Trump, it's almost like there was this genetic memory that, oh no, we're supposed to be afraid of this. This is how we don't get our way. Well, I, I what I think it is is it clicked when you mentioned that. And uh you know like looking at this this long view of history looking outside of kind of modern democracies if you had to look at one leader who wielded power sort of correctly to put it that way who would you say that guy is like from any time period in time
1: fuck they all suck yeah they do that's um, why it's... <laughs> gosh that's a tough question
0: but yeah, if we're gonna gonna like, be
1: interested if we're going to be interested in this topic at all
0: like, I would say that relative. I mean
1: I would give I would give two one relatively recent to you know a guy who at least he understood it and you know it's like he understood the moment he understood what was happening and he reacted accordingly you know that would be you know Augusto Pinochet it's like he saw what was happening he knew this was bad and he acted accordingly I mean it was barbaric how he went about it and you know, I mean, helicopter memes are kind of funny, and but, you know, if you're actually dropping a communist out of a helicopter, okay. Uh, it's like, I get it. It's, I mean, he, he defended his country against basically foreign invade, you know, effectively, you know, internal foreign invaders uh, who were going to kill a lot of people. And it's like, he did the right thing. He wielded power the right way, but gosh, history was not kind to him. Uh, and you know, but and he was not kind to a, and there were a lot, a whole lot of innocent people that he definitely, you know, threw out of the helicopters with the communists, and well, and so, but uh, you know, e- even going back to Rome, Augustus, you know, he played his cards excellently, and he was he he consolidated all of the uh, uh, the greatest empire empire up until that point into a uh, into an uh, into the empire it became. Well, and, you know, you're
0: talking about. You're talking about uh, like how history looks back on Pinochet unfavorably and understandably so. Those are brutal tactics, but we don't have a time machine or a crystal ball to see how things would have played out if he were not successful in doing what he did. And it's like, okay, well, we can play the counterfactual the other way where it's like what if in Moscow in you know, the early 20th century, what if they were able to thwart the Bolsheviks using like brutal tactics? Would we look back and say like, guys, that was, that was indefensible evil for doing this. And it's like, they could have saved a hundred million lives. Who knows? Yeah. You know? So it's, it's really hard to play that game well, where I think we're all trained to say bad man, bad man. In, I, in the I, Russian
2: I, revolution, they were faced mm-hmm. with an impossible choice because both, both options sucked.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, I remember yeah.
3: On our, our very first episode, we had Matt Erickson on, and mm-hmm. this is the day after the election, right when everything went sideways. We thought he like, oh, yeah. went to bed thinking he won, and then woke up and it's like, "Well, what's going on?" We recorded that I think the day or the day after, but he said something to the effect, and I don't think it was his original quote. He or somebody else say it that like Trump was us asking nicely, and that the next guy is the one that's gonna like become the one that they they wanted Trump to be, like you were just saying. So
1: that's the incentive. Kinda, And it's like, and the reason history repeats is because the incentives are the same. And, you know, humans never learn that, you know, it's not the ideology that matters. Ideology is just rational. It's just the way people rationalize their incentives that they're attracted to. And so when you're arguing with people's ideas, it's like, that doesn't matter what you need to, what you need to fix is the underlying incentives. And humans never seem to to, uh, learn that lesson. And, so if the if the incentives you know which change over time as institutions change, as people, as new uh, players change, as technology changes and climate changes, uh, you know, and all the incentives change with them, and because we live in a dynamic price system where all of these things tell you, you know, the economy of everything is you know constantly reordering itself with you know new and higher and lower prices. So and that changes things and. You know, humans don't learn this lesson that, uh, you know, hey, when, you know, when the left goes way too far, it's going to bring the right back and they're going to overreach. And when you have like a right wingers that overreach like what we did in the 90s, kind of with the, uh, you, know, you know, some of the Christian right trying to get people canceled and acting like, you know, fascists, uh, it's like, well, I mean, that brought the left, you know, that, that brought the far left. And this is what we've had for the last like 15-ish years was the uh you know the left got in charge and and they dragged everything really far to the left and you know hey they overreached and now we're about to over you know the right's about to take power again and overreach back and i think the rights with the rights overreach is going to be far bigger because again they just handed him the excuse that he needed you know if if there was you know, he might not whoever it was might not have gotten away with it if trump had been treated fairly if he hadn't been gypped out of the election and cheated the way he was uh you know this you know this may not have happened or you know, whatever's going going to happen may not have
2: not only did they they kind of fuck him over on the election they also tried to just completely destroy his legacy i mean they they wanted to make sure that he goes down in the history books as I mean, they, they like the biggest traitor. yeah traitor loser mm-hmm. you know a total a scar on a beautiful democratic face you know And I I really think that I don't think that they read the room when they did that. Nope. You know how much pro Trump stuff I still see everywhere? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, these people, like, you know, you go through rural America, you don't see Biden Harris signs, you don't see them anywhere. And I don't think the progressives read the room. No, I think they think
3: the entire country is like LA or New York City. They don't understand.
2: They did not read the room.
3: The echo chambers
0: country.
1: are a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The, like the, uh,
1: I think, I think they miscalculated, they greatly miscalculated that. Was, I mean, again, this is the lesson of history. Humans don't learn is that incentives matter. And you know, now you just created an opening for a right wing demagogue to come back and take everything from you. And you know, Trump wasn't the guy and that they were, so, that they should have been afraid of. Now they just created the guy they should be afraid of. And yeah. Uh, It's a real bitch. And see, there's a funny uh, thing I I talk about every now and then of, uh, you know, George Soros's uh, law of reflexivity, which basically says, it explains the reason why we create the thing we fear. Because if, you know, something that you fear comes up to you, you're willing to pay it or anyone to make it go away. So, I mean, this is the, uh, you know, the chaos demands order to be extracted. So I mean if you see fear as chaos and you want or do you, you want to regain the order you'll pay anyone anything to make it come back. Yeah you know, and uh, so therefore you know because of you're willing to pay someone for something functionally you're willing to pay the you know someone to make you feel scared and threatened. <laughs> and Therefore, you bring the thing that you fear into existence because you're willing to pay someone to do it to you. And like even like a mugger on the street, because you were afraid for your own life and you don't want anyone to take it from you, you're willing to, you know, to uh, pay someone who comes up and threatens to take it from you. And it's a perverse incentive. And this is one of, the, one of several perverse incentives libertarians have not wanted to talk about. And I'm trying to force the issue now that, okay, this thing exists, you know, and calling it evil doesn't help and you know it's true e- calling it evil is true but it doesn't help you know and we need to actually address the incentive that's it's, at work here
2: it's wasted energy yeah because yeah,
1: un- if you understand that people are incentivized to have this you know state in existence or whatever because they're getting rewarded for it so you know in some way that makes sense to them all of their you know whether they're progressive or a conservative or an independent or a moderate or whatever or or even a minarchist libertarian yeah you know, whatever rationalization that they've come up with is you know it doesn't matter it's secondary that like that's not the real thing it's a distraction from the real thing the real thing is the incentive you know focus on the incentive ignore the the ideology so
0: what do you like to me this is a really curious thing that i think humans sort of subconsciously understand all of these ideas that we're talking about with power and creating like your own worst enemy Mm -hmm. and I I know I was exposed to this idea by Jordan Peterson Carl Jung's work with archetypes and everything and we tell ourselves these stories if you watch like the Star Wars prequels or Lord of the Rings like we understand the dynamics of power and how it grows but then when it comes to applying these ideas to real life like people are just completely blind like they don't understand what's happening right in front of them
1: Hmm. Yeah, there's some sort of disconnect that, there where they can't. They it's really okay. I think there's something that's, that that to be said that truth is stranger than fiction, and there might be a disconnect there for that reason. That when you know when it's fiction or like a like the Star Wars prequels, it makes sense and you can see the logical progression because it's all in two hours, just like that. But when yo, know, but where I think uh, yo, know, rubber hits the road, and where that disconnect happens is that. In truth, you know. In truth, in reality, these things are spread out way further over time. Like in a Star Wars prequel, they're like two hours long or six hours if you watch them. If you binge watch all of them, and so when you can see it all lining up in six hours, you get you get it pretty quick. But when there's this delay factor in there, like you know something like this takes you know hun- maybe a hundred years or decades or even multiple days at a time. You know, it, even down to just multiple days at a time, people are very it's very hard for them to see cause and very delayed effect. Yeah. You know, that That's something that a lot of people really, really struggle with. And it's, you know, it's like, they know it exists that there are, you know, causes with delayed uh, consequences, but you know, I mean, they always like, even like with smoking, they know it's going to come back on them, but they do it anyway. Yeah, you know, or like, you know, binge, binge drinking, they know they're going to get cirrhosis of the liver or like a fatty liver. They are they know that's going to be, be damaging to them eventually. It's like, you know, uh, it'll happen eventually. That's later. And, yeah, that's a later <laughs> problem. And usually you, you know, we'll people then.
2: describe uh, revolutions the same way. They're like, I went to work on Monday, everything is fine. And by Friday, the whole city was on fire. But mm-hmm. a lot of people, I think, with they get caught up in life or whatever and they don't realize what happened to co- to lead to that point you know and i think with 24 hour news cycle we have now how the how do you know what's going on like no i mean you could watch the news every day and still be like what because yeah, it's information sorry. overload and that might be by design i don't know. that don't. is by design i'm sure of it
3: yeah the way the over can, uh overton window keeps shifting too it's like um i was talking to my cousin today and he has some friends that live in the suburbs of chicago and they're way more kind of just like go with the flow this will be fine it'll pass and they're talking about some of their restaurants that are making them show proof of vaccine to get in and he's like well it's not that big of a deal you just like show them the card like it's not that big deal But he's got to do that he's like dude I was telling you this shit six months ago, and you would have called me a conspiracy theorist, but now you're just saying, like, it's not a big deal. Did you see mm-hmm. what's happening? You just keep going with the flow. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you see how these things happen. You stand back and you go, Oh, I get it. I get it. Like, we're not a different species. Like, this is why it happens the same time every way.
1: Yeah. Every I mean, pe- people are, you know, they're specialized for their one thing, and they understand their one thing pretty well. And that one thing basically comes at the cost of every other thing. And so when you when you get that about people like they're they have their one thing that they're good at. This is all that they're they're designed for, and they should be doing that because that's how they make money. This is how they survive, and you know feed their families and all that, and you know provide a standard of living for themselves. And so they're I mean they're, they're you know well informed, they're well advised to you know special really ho- hyper focus on their on their one thing, and this makes them not very good at other you know. Uh, other things like, you know, which are very complex, like politics, it's a very, very complex thing. And so if you're, if you're focused on your, on your thing, I don't know, maybe you're a plumber or something like that, you know, I mean, you really have to focus your energy, energy on that. If you're spent, if you're spending your uh, time on politics, instead of honing your craft, you know, you're you're going to be missing out on, you know, a standard level of living you could be having for yourself and your family, and that's not good. And uh, so, I mean, you know, when when they have, and then you have add information over, overload from the media on top of it, on top of the fact that they're omitting quite a few other facts. And, you know, then you add in the effects of echo chambers and, you know, and one, th- and you add one thing after another. It's like, no wonder people suck at voting. <laughs> you know? You, you and, can't
2: like, possibly be... You can't oh. know every candidate. Have, I mean, even, like, local candidates. If you go to vote on a local election, like, does anyone know where you can find information on all those people? You're just like, oh, that person looks... They look nice. They look yep. cool. Yep. We'll vote for yeah. them.
3: And I'd like have a beer like,
2: with them. <laughs>
0: like you well, said about like,
3: the plumber, you know. Oh, sorry, Nick. Yeah, well, no, was I was like going to say
0: it's – go ahead, Mike.
3: I won't cut you off. <laughs> Never mind. Well, you're saying with the plumber, like paying attention to politics, it's like if you try to do both, you're going to be a half ass plumber and know half shit about politics. Like yeah. you have to be obsessed with one or the other to be really good at it too. But yeah. everyone's vote counts equally. So the uninformed means just as much to the system as the people who know what they're voting on. Well, it's yeah. like
0: the central, it's like the central planning problem with socialism, right? Like no organizer planner can, can decide where to allocate all the resources with, to come up with the best outcome. It's almost the exact same thing with power and politics. Like, especially with democracy, how are 300 million people going to wisely choose like where power should be placed? It's impossible. Like there's, it's the same sort of dilemma. Yeah. Like that's
1: that idea just kind of like, when we're talking about this kind of came to the surface for me. That's why, you know, this is why someone like, you know, mentions the book, Curtis Irvin. he says, you know, we need to be privatizing the state because that's something that, you know, people, you know, I always say people really suck at voting for obvious reasons, but they're pretty decent when it comes to shopping. Mm-hmm. It's like, they know how to shop for themselves. And because there's a price right there, it tells them the information they need to know. And then there's some, you know, on the box on the back, they have, like, I don't know, maybe they're buying food. There's some nutritional information that they would need to know with some ingredients list. And, you know, they can pick and choose based on their own values and their own needs, what works for them. And so if you privatize, you know, st- the uh, craft, then, you know, people can begin to better pick and choose for themselves based on the information that's given to them. Because like, if you look at, like, what a ballot looks like, it's a name with a letter next to the name. That's what it is. You that's not a price. It doesn't tell you how you know how much their tax plan is going to cost. You know, imagine if we put that information right next to, you know, their their name, what what that would be. You know, it's like the libertarians win every time because they're the cheapest one. And you know, it's like that's like one law that you could just do and it would just change everything because now you put a price on the information, you know, because like a name and a letter are you know, virtually useless information, but like, you know, they might be, have an R next to the name. That doesn't mean they could be good. They could be like a fucking neocon or they could be a, a, a squishy moderate and you have no way of knowing. And, you know, but if you it just say, okay, here's the tax plan they support or something like that. And it, it's a price and people know what to do with a the number. They're pretty good at that. And you know, but and if you could just find some way to start backdooring a price system into the, uh, into the elect into the our electoral system, you would see quite you know a revolution overnight towards the right, towards liberty, and because people ca- you're giving people useful information that they have now, and uh, right now it, we don't have anything like that. Like that, and this is what yeah again I think I, th- I think this is the way forward is to try you know because you can't take a state away from people they want it they're incentivized to want it, and you know just okay let's at least make it private. And let's put a price on it so people will know, you know, what's valuable and what's not. I and you don't Ron even have DeSantis to make. This is all-
2: going to be the first one to do it.
1: I I, I think so. He's going to be the
2: king of Florida,
1: <laughs> sure so. dude. On if he wears arm. a crown, if he wears a crown in public, I'll move to Florida. Yeah, I would do it too. I wouldn't. Yeah, I would move back to Florida. <laughs>
3: yeah. I I actually, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, we have a family friend who moved to Florida from Illinois after spending his whole life here over fifty years. And he just went down there and he loves it he's been apolitical i think he used to vote democrat but now he's just like all amped he's like he he's gonna get an american truck and he didn't even know what to call it he said the yellow snake flag to put in the airside side of his truck he goes, i'm a florida ah. scumbag now you got to have that if you're down here with a pickup truck <laughs> <Pretty> Much. <laughs> i'm just like whoa
1: what happened i love it so. i was born and raised in in uh, central florida for 23 ish years and so like you know when you know when i see all of a sudden my state that used to just be ridiculed for having all the crazy people and really just crazy Northerners coming down and, you know, then the media calls them Florida, man. But you know, <laughs> now <all laughs> bunch of, a sudden, of people from Wisconsin. Like, everyone else got, you know, every other state was the crazy state and ours was the normal one. Cause we stayed just the normal level of crazy. <laughs> and, well, it's like, yeah, so proud.
0: It's like that Waylon Jennings song. I've always been crazy, but it's kept me from going insane. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. So, I, I, one thing i wanted to to touch on in this episode so your namesake popular liberty makes me think of making libertarianism a populist idea and I, and why that's important and i think that right now that is very important because the time for libertarian purity uh you know pure anarcho-capitalism ideals as Pete canonas would say living in capistan in your head uh this is a really tone-deaf time to be living in that world and right now we had like, look at the last 10 years. We had Ron Paul, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump. Like, all of these kind of counterculture, anti-establishment movements gathering. And that energy is just building steam and it's not going anywhere. And I, what I would like to see is libertarians sort of injecting our ideas into that, that energy and kind of commandeering and steering it. And I know though Bishop has talked about this. Though Bishop, I heard him talk about on Not A Podcast. He talked about, uh, like, talking even to Q people. You know, it's like, you know, he goes, yeah, you know, they're anti-fed. He's like, just tell them like, oh yeah, you know, that, that banking cabal, you know what they're doing is keeping interest rates too low. Like start educating people, sort of like subverting them. So, so what Mm -hmm. do you think that sort of like
1: populist
0: energy that we're seeing, what would you like to do with that?
1: Uh, well the, uh, you know, my name actually has like five or six different meanings. It's one of those is two little words, but they can take them quite a few different ways. Populist liberty is one of them. And the, uh, yeah. Uh, for, with that new populist energy, uh, I think, you know, actually Nick Fuentes said it this morning on his telegram that uh, he says, I'm not a populist. I'm a reactionary. I think that's what just happened. I think all of that populist energy just turned reactionary. And, you know, I think that's, that's where it is. It's going to be, again, th- there's this energy that we're seeing because initially it started off in 2008. This was the beginning of the populist movement. Ron Paul was the first populist. And because he was running on the popular issues at that time, you know, which we had just come off of the Fed, had printed a shit ton of money. We'd given bailouts to, to big banks, you know, and that was it been stolen from the people, adding to our debt that our children are going to have to repay. A and five-year-old you know, war. Yeah, and it's like you know, yeah. we had the, yeah we had these wars that were just it seemed like they weren't ending, and they we had been lied into we you know they had lied to the American people about you know war that killed millions of people, and it's like these and they had and not only that but they had put the war on the credit card you know so to speak, and you know it's all out of control, and th- there was a rightfully a populist backlash to all of this. And it just happened to really coincide with everything Ron Paul was saying. It wasn't, he wasn't popular because he was a libertarian. He was popular because he was a populist. And, you know, he was, uh, you know, the libertarian, I mean, it was just a freak of nature coincidence that the populist issues of that day were the, also like the, the issues that libertarians have been best on. And as the, those issues kind of faded from memory well, they, you know, so did the uh, libertarian revolution, the Ron Paul revolution that you know we had, and it, what and what happened was they got transferred all over to uh, that populist energy. Got transferred to uh, Donald Trump because there were new issues, and he was really excellent on those. And he man, and he you know, unlike Ron Paul, he, uh, Trump managed to consolidate power in a way Ron Paul didn't. Because I mean, he's a libertarian; he doesn't have that killer instinct. He's so too he, nice. Yeah, yes. I mean, he's a nice guy. He didn't cheat hard enough. He should have cheated better. And
2: he should have said some mean to. tweets.
1: Yeah, by the way, Trump should have cheated better too. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the uh yeah, but that both of them didn't and I think whoever's come going to come along next, he's going to learn from Ron Paul and he's going to learn from Trump and you know, I think you know who, who and uh, this new populist energy, it's gone reactionary now and this is the way a cycle of history always repeats and because now, what they've incentivized is a hardcore right-wing reactionary to come along and, you know, bring the system to the ground, burn it down. Because this thing is evil. This thing, look what it did to to us. Obviously, this thing is a threat. It it's got to go. And do you, do you this, think
2: that uh, political violence is going to become the norm in the next few years?
1: Uh, from the left, yes. From the right, no. <sighs>
2: And the, the right is the right is so soft
1: <laughs> uh, the problem with the right is not that they're soft it's that their leaders are soft the re- okay you know, the reason no, you know the right has all of the guns and they were all of them were, they were ready to use the guns last year and they are ready to start shooting their elected representatives and shooting the, at their government they were ready to do it but they didn't have any leaders because remember the right is hierarchical they need a leader to give the order and none of the leader, their leaders, are willing to give that kind of order. And so, the right—they're not soft, but they're orderly and they're hierarchical. And that's what actually holds, paradoxically, holds them back from using political violence. And unless you you uh, somehow get a real change in who the uh, you know, and the like, who if this Augustus comes along and he's willing to use political violence, you better bet the right's going to do it. It's like they're ready to do it, and this is some, you know something I'm actually I'm very concerned about because I'm not a big uh, I'm not a fan of using violence uh, to get to get our way. It can work, but it's, it usually doesn't, and it, it, it just has very mixed results, and it's a high risk strategy. So if the uh, if if we do get a new uh, leader who's willing to to a uh, right wing leader who's willing to you know, give the people the permission the wink and the nod they need to or even just the explicit okay it's time to start shooting our leaders then you're going to see the right really just massacre the you know the american uh, electorate the american not electorate the american elect elected officials you'll see well, you them get massacred I-
0: You know what Curtis Yarvin said that was another one of those moments where it's like, oh yeah, duh, is when he talked about the difference between force and violence and how libertarians like really didn't understand the distinction there. And it's like violence is bad, like just bloodshed and chaos is not beneficial for anybody. Force, on the other hand, is kind of a neutral thing. It's like it can be good or bad. It's like you don't need to start splitting heads because people know that you can do it so they comply with you. And like if we look ahead to the – if we get our crystal ball out and look at like the next five to eight years with like the coming elections, I don't know what to expect. Like I I really – my gut feeling like got me to this point and then it's like, okay, where, we, where do we go from here? And I have no idea. We could see somebody like Ron DeSantis like just have this huge moment and take over and then things kind of splinter off. California's seeds. I mean who knows what could happen there. But when you look ahead to 2024 – what what do you think is going to happen? What,
1: what do you think
0: is going to happen?
1: I can tell you. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen. I can tell you what's incentivized, and you know what what is incentivized is a right winger to come along and you know declare the system unfit, you know for purpose, and you know burn and run on burning it to the ground. You know the the current crop of right wingers, you know whoever wants to be president. You know, whichever of them decides to run on I'm going to go to war with the bureaucracy, you know, they're the enemy uh, and the corporate press is the enemy of the people. And, you know, they you know, they want you dead, but they'll settle for your submission. They're the American enemies and I'm here to go to war with them and burn the system to the ground. It's like it's not time to conserve the Constitution has not been conserved and there's no going back to it at this point. So we're gonna need a new one, and it, that we're going. That and that's something that's gonna need to be far stricter than what we had before. Than, than what we had before, something like that. And you know, he can rattle off. Oh, it'll be anti-abortion. It'll have term limits. It'll have you know this, that, and the third. And you know, the uh, at that point, you know, it's like he he has to run on burning the system to the ground. That's what's being incentivized right now. Whoever does that will get the power and and possibly a bullet to the head, too. But, you know, they might get JFK'd or MLK'd, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's like this is, you know, this is what's being incentivized in 2024, and we'll see if any of them respond to that incentive. Because if they do it, they'll get the power.
2: I see a few of them gearing up towards it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I look at like you know Tucker Carlson because you know he actually yeah. name dropped you know Curtis Yarvin. It's like oh I love Curtis Yarvin. He uh, like in a world where he's a bad Ooh. guy, you've gone way off the rails. And and I'm thinking like mm. a, a DeSantis Tucker ticket would just be <laughs> <laughs> well. And, I, I know I, that
2: I, So Bishop has said that too. I saw him yeah. tweet that the other day. It's like <laughs> I would
1: I would prefer a, DeS- a DeSantis Tucker over DeSantis Rand. And,
3: well, yeah,
0: you know, like when it comes to the the Liberty Movement, it's like, guys, aren't you tired of losing? Don't you want to be on a winning team for once? And it's like, okay, uh, like at the Ankapistan crowd, we don't stand a chance at actually winning anything. But you know who does? Are a lot of disaffected Trump voters and a lot of disaffected Fox News viewers who are sick of of watching their conservatism just fail and fail and fail, and I, I think like when you, you were talking about like Florida man and how all of those crazy Floridians became like the most sane people in the country, it's like, those are our people, the people with the, the or at least I can speak for myself, like, you know, people in pickup trucks, flying Gadsden flags. It's like, I have way more kinship with them than I do with people in New York city for the most part. And I would like to be on their team and actually, you know, get my policies through and start forming those kind of communities. Are y'all going to become Florida men?
3: It's on the short list, yeah, I mean, I got I, I'm kind of tied here for uh, personal reasons for a decade, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna try to get out of here as soon as I can. i'm uh, yeah. i'm not
2: I'm not married to to any area at the moment, so <laughs> I could be a Florida man within a couple of years.
1: <laughs> oh, I would certainly be looking hard into it right now. I, I, I will not miss I, Illinois winners at all.
2: Like, I keep seeing what's going on there. And, you know, my, my dad lives down there and I'm just like, man, they just keep winning.
1: Yeah,
2: they, and, everything. And, and like, how can you even question like the results? I mean, they opened up early, they stayed open. They're not going to lock down. They're actually going against all that. And now they're uh, you know, people are moving there in droves. Oh, not Something. only
1: that, DeSantis has had one you know policy win after another, you know, outside of the lockdowns, like, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but, you know, he managed to, uh, pa- you know, pass a, uh, you know, uh, school vouchers for mm-hmm. like private schools for all kids, yeah. any kid, you know, regardless of income, can get a private school voucher, you know, and get out of the public indoctrination system now. And on top of that, he's going to war with the public, with the teacher unions too, too. You know, yeah. really, uh, drive, drive even more nails into it. So if you got, I don't know if you guys have kids yet, but that's something I look at hard. You know, Dude, got, you know <laughs> they don't even have that here in Texas yet. It's and yeah. And, and like, I look at, I look at something like that and say, gosh, you know, if I had kids, I would be looking hard at, uh, you know, sending them to a good Christian school rather than, you know, that, you know, on taxpayer dimes. You know, and and uh, and he's had one like gun reform after another that was good. I you know I forget what it was, but he. I mean, I oh I think he just made it, uh, Florida a constitutional carry state. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's what it was. I might be I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And I mean, he, and he's just he's just winning all over the place. And it's like, why wouldn't you? And he's building crea- credibility as a right wing reactionary. That's what's being incentivized, and he's yeah. responding to the incentive and he clearly understands that oh what you need to be saying these people are the enemy and and he's calling them the enemy by name and i mean it's a wonderful thing to see and i think again he's responding to the incentives yeah. people just behave in their incentives ideology does not matter it's the incentives that do
2: did you yeah, notice how he totally took the spotlight from Christy Noem, too? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
2: She, you know, because she, she didn't ever lock down or ma- you know, form any mask mandates. And for a while, they were talking about her. And then the minute Florida opened up, it just like Ron DeSantis just totally stole the spotlight.
3: Well, he, led, he led the charge. Like he would do it. And then yeah. Abbott would like follow slowly after you would see how people reacted first. You tell he didn't have the balls to be the first to do it. And Christy Nome did great, but you know, her state, it's a lot, you know, a lot smaller than Florida. No, not the it's pay smaller for that in
1: the primary. I can tell you right now, he's going to pay for that, you know, for being second every single time to DeSantis. He's going to, uh, that this is, yeah, this primary, is not going to go well for him.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: just, well, sorry. I, I was going to say, I, I mean, I think if DeSantis runs in 2024, he wins in a landslide, the nomination. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he, it's going to be a, a bigger you know, route than Trump had in 2016. Like that's, that's the way I see it. I think he well, will like
3: by far be the
0: most popular.
3: Listening to you talk about it being in Florida and us in Illinois, it's, it's literally like we've been in two different countries this whole time. Um, I mean, you're talking about your governor's fighting for you and all this stuff with the schools and the kids. And like mm-hmm. we're trying to fight our governor to stop torturing our kids with muzzles. Like, well, I got, I got four kids, one in school, three, not quite. Um, but we, we, I live in a three thousand person town, and we basically had him, uh, Go mask optional. Two hundred counties in Illinois went mask optional because the parents have had enough. Um, and the, our school board was about to do it, but then our governor just mandated that all schools, K through twelve, got to do the masks, even private schools. And we're pushing back. I mean, we that's we, so we,
1: tough. I feel so sorry for your children. Yeah. Oh, you know? I,
3: I, I spoke at the school meeting last week and, and unloaded on the school board and. and told them you're torturing them this is child abuse and you know you're not representing your constituents and we're gonna go we're gonna move to recall you if you if you go forward and follow the governor over your constituents um is it or you can your other option is you can fight back be a hero and you'll never pay for a drink in this town ever again or mm-hmm. option three just go forward and say you're doing it and don't enforce it they'll keep the heat off yep. of you and our kids are left alone. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens, but we're organizing protests. We're sending our kids mask-free the first day with the parents. We're all going there. We have do not comply T-shirts made up. Um, so there's, there's a huge resistance. We we got. Can like, you make like a amen. miniature? Guillotine? You, yeah, we have like 200 counties all pulling together right now. We're, I mean, we have like a Facebook page and we're all communicating with leaders. So it's it's getting a lot of traction. I'm, I'm, oh, the he
1: yeah. also had the uh, you know that, that you mentioned Facebook. He also has that social media bill where he's cracking down on big tech for censoring people. Right. And he, he passed it. He signed it into mm-hmm. law. And the, uh, yeah, now they're suing it in court. Yeah, they took
2: him to court, yeah.
1: But, you know, I, I mean, I think he, he could win it. And, there, I mean, there's a, there are some real easy fixes he could do if, it, you know, if they strike it down. They probably will. But if they, you know, if they do strike it down, there's some real easy fixes he could do. Just put a tax on every act of censorship and you'll bankrupt the bastards. And, by the way, the, and the power of taxation is virtually unlimited. So the if uh, you want to say hey we're raising revenue and we're going to cut a property tax you know to boot because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Florida doesn't have an income tax and uh, so you have to cut a property tax with it and you could raise taxes on big tech on the enemies for their behavior of censorship which which people hate and you know cut property taxes at the same time kill three birds with one stone yeah did you
2: and- also see he's looking into taking pay from. Uh, yeah. Uh, school administrators that their school districts enforce mask mandates on kids. Mm -hmm. He's looking to withhold their pay.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, and and he's, he even went a step further, you know, during when the, uh, you know, when you had these, uh, you know, liberal counties in Florida decided that they wanted to, you know, really enforce all of these uh, punitive fines on businesses that tried to stay open during, during the lockdowns that they had. He said, you need to get, you know, he signed an executive order, say, give them every dime back. And, and he made them give the money back. The government gave money back to the mm-hmm. people that they had taken, un, you know, wrongfully. And I mean, you just see that that this is the incentive of the moment. And the, the uh, I mean, history's literally about to repeat itself again. And that's what it looks like. And a short of a bullet to the head, that's about the only thing that's going to stop it from repeating itself. And I just don't think that that's going to uh, that's going to fly. Uh, I mean, I think if they were to put a bullet in the head of de- Ron DeSantis, I really think people would, you know, break their need for the for leaders and just start shooting the government because that's yeah. what, that's the, that's what they've gotten. That that's the point they've driven these people to. And yeah, no, I, I, think I that agree. If they if they did, I can tell you right now, the incentive for another politician to say they put a bullet in DeSantis's head, let's put a de- bullet in theirs, yeah. and it's like. Again, they they're creating their own em- enemies by you know by their own fear, and it'd be better if they just stopped fighting.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, I I do I think I think you're right about that. I, I think, mm-hmm. and especially when it comes to DeSantis, um, God, I lost my train of thought just now. Oh, that's the worst. We oh, <laughs> no, were talking about DeSantis. Okay, no, somebody else take it. It'll come back to me. I promise.
1: I was talking about how they you know they were incentivizing if they put a bullet in DeSantis's head. Uh, they're going to be uh, – they, uh, they just create an incentive for some other right-wing demagogue to come along and say, well, okay, uh, we need to – they they martyred Trump, and they betrayed him. They cheated him out of office, and then when we tried to put DeSantis in, they put a bullet in his head. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, – you know, Like they're creating the incent- – all these incentives for themselves.
0: So are you of the belief, I, I know there's kind of two camps. There are people that want DeSantis to run for president and there's a lot of purist libertarians that are saying like, yeah, well, he's a Zionist. It's like, okay. Compared to what every other president of our lifetime, like
1: <laughs> you know, that's like going to be the same no Americans what. who are like pro Israel, you know? yeah,
0: exactly. It's like, so do you want to like, okay, we could, we could actually stop the COVID policies from being a thing, but we're going to, keep sending aid to Israel, or we could have somebody who is all for all of the COVID policies and, and sends aid to Israel.
2: Aid to Israel. I, you know,
1: <laughs> what is the point of like, oh, this is the hill I die on. I won't, I won't support I'll put it like that. this. You know, it's like, if if they could end all of the COVID policies and double the aid to Israel, I would you know, my finger would press that button so fast, it would get a blister.
0: Same <laughs> uh, hard. Same.
1: You know what I mean? It's it's like I, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sure there are good people over there that are, you know, getting destroyed and it's really sad, but you know, I don't really control that. Yeah, you know, and I don't support that. And you know, I but I want what's good for my people and I have to prioritize them first because oh. that's what's valuable. That's the incentive. I'm pri- I'm incentivized to prioritize my own people, you know, over You know, some god awful shithole in the Middle East, where you know the only correct foreign policy for the Middle East was what God had in the Bible, where He just flooded it. Yeah, well,
0: and you (laughs) know, it's like, how are you going to control a tyrant on the other side of the world when you can't even control your own tyrant at home? It's bloody impossible. (laughs) (laughs) That's my my Jordan Peterson. Um, but yeah, no. So, are you of the belief that? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but exactly that, that it really is. Um, so are you of the belief that? somebody like DeSantis should run for president or do you think he's better suited as being like a mini president in Florida where he has way more absolute power. And do you want to see an America where we have 30 DeSantis's that are all consolidating power in their own States rather than trying to change things on a national level?
1: Uh, well, th- uh, it depends if DeSantis runs the way he's incentivized to run, then yeah, I want him there because I, I, I want someone to campaign on burning the system to the ground. Because I think that again, that's the incentive. If, if he chooses to be, to you know, go balls out and behave his in, incentives the way he's been doing so far, then you know I think that he absolutely should, because that's the best good he can do. If he's not going to do to uh, you know campaign on burning the system to the ground, then uh, he's probably better off as a, as the governor of Florida. But he's term limited in Florida, so if he gets reelected uh, in you know this twenty twenty two. Uh, he won't be able to run again in 2026, so he's term limited. So by that, so yeah, you know, he's already incentivized to mm. go for reach for the next higher thing in yeah. 2024. Because C- it's
0: like, what does he do if uh, if he you know runs out of his terms of of governor? Then what is he going to go to the House of Representatives where he has
1: no power to actually push his policies? I mean, in yeah, from the know, House I, of Representatives, and he had no, pa- and he had he was just a kind of nobody there, and. Yeah. Then he uh, he came da- he came down but back from Washington he ran as a you know decent candidate who was better than the other guy than uh, Adam Putnam was the other
2: was that the uh, drug addict
1: no no that was a uh, Andrew Gillum you oh, okay. know and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know but uh, h- in the Republican primary he was running against a uh, you know like agriculture guy or something like that named uh, you know Adam Putnam he was just like the biggest butts. You know, he, he was just a, no, he, he was a, uh, a real moderate, not kind of an anti-Trumper. And, you know, it's just, this guy would have been awful. And like an it, Adam Kinzinger type. Yeah.
0: yeah. He was an Adam yeah. Type. And
1: that's that's my guy,
0: unfortunately. <laughs> I'll throw so that for you, buddy. But I'm sure you'll
1: correct that in, tw- you know, this next year. It'll actually yeah. motivate me to vote. Yes, it will.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's brutal. But, um,
0: Andrew, so we are we are coming up on on time here. Um, so we're definitely going to have to do a part two of this and and kind of flesh out some more ideas of archotropism in practice in reality. So uh, until then, where can people find you? Uh, plug your YouTube channel, your socials, anything else?
1: Oh well, you can uh, you know join me on at Mises GOP on Twitter and in the uh, and we have a MeWe group set up and we'll be having a uh, you know hopefully. A, a donation link soon for that we don't have that yet but it's coming I promise and if you want to check out my content you can find me at Popular Liberty on Twitter and you can find me uh, at Popular Liberty on YouTube and you can find all of my stuff there please like and subscribe I'd like to get to a, th- to a thousand on uh, uh, on YouTube soon and uh, that's a and you can all, and I'm the main moderator in the part of the problem inner circle so you can always catch me there
3: Hell yeah. Right. Speaking yeah. of which, I, I still don't got that me we thing to work out, man. We'll, we'll figure it out some other day.
1: Yeah. If you if you figure it out or just create a new account, I can add you immediately. <laughs> I'm pretty good. You don't have to wait two or three weeks anymore to get into the Ooh. inner circle. So it's, <laughs> well, it's you literally know, like within hours. I usually approve people. So I, awesome. have, yeah.
0: uh, I have sort of let my. Just this past couple weeks, I let my my Gas Digital subscription. I didn't update my payment method after my card expired, so hopefully Andrew doesn't throw me out. But
1: nope, you know I'll keep going. (laughs) (laughs) No, with uh, Robbie and Dave, the way they always ran it was uh, they never checked to see who was the a current subscriber. It's just if you paid once, you were in, and I I run it the same way like a robot. So
3: yeah,
1: awesome. I got five years under my belt.
3: I deleted my Facebook like two years ago, but the one thing I'm the only thing I missed was the inner circle, and then it got abolished anyways. So I was like, I'm never having Facebook again. <laughs> that was yeah. the only thing worth having there. But well, cool, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Nice to finally meet you. And yeah, all listeners, you guys should check out his stuff. Great content. And please go to iTunes and rate review our show and follow us on Twitter at Pauls to the Walls with a Z. And oh, yeah, and at it.
0: at Kamora King sixty nine K I M U R A King 69 It's not sexual.
2: (laughs) All All the pleasure. All right.
1: (laughs) Take care.